HB 1557 is entitled the Parental Rights and Education Bill that was signed into law by Florida Governor Ron DeSantis very recently. Now, if you've been following the news like some of you have been, the news surrounding this bill, it squashes, or it's a bill that um, has caused a lot of uproar in society because those who are against it say that it squashes uh, freedom of speech and it implies fear-mongering. Critics have named it the Don't Say Gay Bill. One of the points of criticism within the bill is that the schools are prohibited to discuss sexual orientation or gender identity in certain grade levels, especially from kindergarten to third grade. The bill states, and this is taken straight from the text of the bill, the bill states that parents have a fundamental right to make decisions regarding the upbringing and control of their children in a specified manner. Isn't that a novel idea? (laughs) Parents able to parent their children. Unfortunately, we need to legislate these kinds of things. At least we feel like we need to legislate these kinds of things. Um, Fundamental rights for the family to train up their children. But the hoopla that surrounds this bill and the noise that is being created in response to this bill reveals something I think is far more dangerous to our social culture. And it's this. There are satanic influences that are governing our world's affairs. And they are declaring what is designed by God is wrong and what feels good is right and that if you have a stance or opinion that doesn't go along with what culture tides are, are coming across, you are to be canceled And they are coming for our kids. They're coming for our kids. Our next generation of adults will be so conditioned that right is wrong and wrong is right that there will not be any more moral absolutes. I've talked to some of you this week. And you've said, I never thought in my lifetime I would see this. Well, here we are. And what's it going to be like, not just in 50 years from now, 10 years from now, 15 years from now? The book of Judges, though, reveals or shines a light on this problem, and it's nothing new. Because it's in the book of Judges that we read again and again and again. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And God, by his providence, would bring trouble so that the people of God would cry out to him and he would rescue them. Now, I am tired of seeing the effects of culture that is totally steamrolling society. 
But there's hope for us today. There's hope. There really is hope. Church, there's hope today. There's a sure hope. Culture, sinfully toxic, me-centered culture does not have to have a foothold on our lives. And in God's providence, He has provided a built-in safeguard to protect the generations from the wayward effects of sin. Hold that thought. What was the time? Uh, <laughs> all right. Okay, so like we're talking about really serious things, so let's get serious again. God has provided a safeguard for culture, and that is the family. In God's providence, he has designed the family to be the fundamental safeguard for the, the craziness of sin in a lost world. It's mom and dad trusting God to teach their children of the ways of the Lord and imparting life and godliness to their children. That is God's blueprint for society, the family. Mom and dad training their children the ways of the Lord and shepherding their hearts as their children are living in a fallen world. Notice that I didn't say that the safeguard for society is the church. I said it's the family. Listen, God never meant the church to be the sole place for the spiritual instruction for your children. It's not one hour on a Sunday or two hours if you're super spiritual and you come Sunday night. It's every day. Mom and dad or mom or dad, if it's that situation, training their children in the ways of the Lord and helping them to see God's wisdom to be lived out in a fallen world. It is by God's grace he has designed the family to be the place where life is explored and wisdom is sought. Moses instructed Israel with these words, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words which I commanded you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Notice that Moses didn't say, Hear, O Lord, or hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. You shall talk about them when you go to the temple. He said, You talk about them in your house in your home, 
in the New Testament sense, parents who love Jesus are to model that walk to their children. If you're a parent, you are the greatest example of grace in your child's life that they will see. It's in the home where questions can be asked, where assumptions can be challenged, and correction given when we stray the course. I talk to my kids a lot about school. What's going on in school? And not just what are they learning, but what's going on in school? And there are times where I am just shocked at what they say. I'm not surprised at sin, but I am shocked at what sin does. And we talk about these things. Because if we don't, if we remain silent, they, the, the world will teach our children. I, I listened to a podcast this week. I, I want to encourage you to, to listen to it. It's by Kevin DeYoung, who's a pastor of a church in North Carolina. It's the uh, Crossway podcast. He was talking this week about, and the title of it was, If You Do Not Catechize Your Children, The World Will. And a catechism, and you might have heard of the Westminster Catechism or the Heidelberg Catechism. All a catechism is, is a, a, a set of questions and answers for discipleship. It's training. And his premise is, if you don't step in the void, the world will. And in God's design and providence, he's given you the greatest resources and the greatest tools at your disposal to shepherd your children. And that's his word through his spirit in your home. The clearest way that Satan has attacked culture is to attack the home. Distracting, breaking, and downright destroying the foundation of the home is where we see the biggest attention given by his attacks. The culture is weak because the home is weak. But in God's providence, he has given us the ability to stand strong and build our foundation on the shore rock of Jesus Christ. Listen, weak homes lead to a weak culture. But I say again, there is hope. God has given us wisdom to lead our children, even when it's hard, even when it's challenging, even when it's downright difficult. One of the hardest things that I've ever experienced in my life is being a parent. And it's not because my kids are terrible. They're actually quite wonderful. But if you're a parent, you know this. It is never-ending. It is exhausting. It takes every amount of energy you have. You're always a parent. The attacks seem to come from everywhere, every direction. It, it seems like when we just cross one threshold of victory, here comes another attack. 
And I am thankful for the grace of God to help a sinner like me shepherd these kids. And I pray that you see the same grace in your life. Now to help in the journey, God has provided the church. So we're not throwing away the church at all. But the church is really a supplement for the home. It's the place as a community, as a church community, a a people that believe and think the same. To encourage each other, to live out faith with each other, to pray for each other, to grow and share encouragement with each other. But here's the troubling thing. All the cultural trends point to this, and there's been extensive research done in this area. I mean, in many areas, but this area specifically. The fact is, we are losing our children in the church. We're losing them. A recent survey survey conducted said that 75% of all kids leave the church in the ages of 18 to 29. I want all of our kids to stand up. If you're under the age of 18, can you stand up? The statistics say that three-quarters of this group will not be here by the time they're 29 years old. We've seen that over the years here at the church. We've seen people reach young adulthood and leave the church. But the same study that says that 75% will leave asks the question, why does the 25% stay? And this is what it came up with. This is super small writing, I know, but this is what they say as the results. There's five main areas. That families ate dinner five of the seven days a week together. That families served with each other in ministry. That these children had one spiritual experience in the home during the week. That these children were entrusted with responsibility in ministry at an early age. And finally, that these children had at least one faith-focused adult in their lives other than their parents. It wasn't because the church did something great. I mean, we can have great kids' ministries. We can have dynamic kids' ministries. But it's not the sole thing, instrument, that is going to keep your kids connected to Jesus. It's in God's grace and providence that He's given us the family. The home is where the gospel is to be lived out. So I'm glad you're still standing because I want to pray for you. And as a church, we want to pray for you right now because if we don't change our affections and heart for the things that God is saying, we will lose you. And we do not want to lose you. You are precious to us. And more importantly, you are precious to God. And so let's pray. Father,
in these moments that we have together in your word. We pray that your spirit would encourage our hearts, challenge us, challenge uh, the way that we think and live, and call us into righteousness, the way of wisdom. And we pray for our young people this morning. And Father, we commit them to you knowing that they are precious in your sight. And Father, we ask for your glory that you would allow us as parents, as people that are uh, charged with shepherding the generations, that you would keep us on the path of godliness and that your heart for these children would be reflected not just a few times a week, but Father, in our homes, in the places where we have the greatest impact, we would be faithful to shepherd these children. And Father, that we would commit them to you for your glory, and we would ask that you would work above and beyond all that we ask or think. And Father, as, as young people reach that threshold into adulthood, Father, that they would just continue their walk with you and see your kindness and grace and mercy and ultimately see the goodness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And for the, it's for that aim and for your glory that we ask all these things. Amen. All right, children, you can be dismissed. Parents, your children need you now more than ever. They need you now more than ever. Our passage this morning brings that to our attention. Wisdom and the call to pursue it begins in the home as mom and dad are called to raise their children. And God will help us for this monumental task. But I want to add something. Something that some of you may need to hear this morning. It's not too late. It's not too late to put these things into practice. I told you, parenting is hard work. And there are times, I mean, my kids are 15 and 13. There are times I think, Lord, am I doing this right? Lord, are we headed in the right direction? Lord, am I honoring you the way that you want to be honored? Can I just say to you this morning, It's never too late to reorder your home around the gospel of Jesus Christ. Without knowing it, our children urgently need us to be a faithful model of the gospel and what it means to live it out in a broken and fallen world. And as a church family, we want to help you. That's where we come in as a group. The support structure you know, I, I was kind of thinking like we're, we're, we're kind of like the, 
the wire mesh that kind of, you know, can help you as, as we teach you the Word of God and encourage you and pray for you and, and meet with you and counsel you and, and all the things that God wants us to, to accomplish for each other. We want to help you. And so I just ask that if you're in a place where you're thinking enough is enough and, 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 and it's not too late and, and, and we need help, that you would reach out for help. Myself, Pastor Dustin, our elders, uh, uh, someone that is spiritual that you trust here, that you could say, hey, can you just encourage me and give me help for this journey that just seems like it's so overwhelming at times? Because if we do not do this, the world will. And so as we continue our journey in Proverbs, we come to the place where wisdom is to be shared. Last week, we introduced the concept of wisdom in Proverbs as really the, the, the theme for the rest of the book. And it's not an accident that the next thing that Solomon says is, as you seek wisdom, as you fear God, as that is the beginning of the journey of following God's truth, what is the next natural thing that needs to happen? It's dad and mom teaching their children. That is where wisdom is put on display as you encourage and shepherd the children that God has put under your care. The call for wisdom begins in the home. In Proverbs chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, we read this. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Indeed, they are a graceful wreath to your head and ornaments around your neck. The call for wisdom begins in the home. Notice what Solomon says, Hear my son. Pay attention. Incline your ear. Listen up. The wise are called to heed parental, parental guidance. Now, I already sent some eye-rolling here if you're a teenager. Levi's not doing it, but sometimes, Right? We all know what it was like. We knew what it was like to be a kid, right? When your parents tell you something and you feel like you have the world figured out. Hear my son, the call of wisdom. And what do we naturally do? Here we go again. What did we talk about last week, though? It's this idea that wisdom calls us to learn first and then live it out of the experience of life, not to live the experience of life and then learn. Hear my son. Hear your father's instruction. Do not forsake your mother's teaching. Rooted in the success of the child of God is their ability to pay attention to the guidance that a father and mother give. Now, there are two thoughts for us to consider in verse 2. The first is the aspect of the roles of dad and mom. There's a co-laboring there's a shared responsibility. And even in those shared responsibilities, we see there's a distinct role that each has. 
Now, our, our society and culture has said that the guy goes out and does the work to bring the food, money home so that we can live. And, you know, we leave the, the parenting stuff up to mom who is in charge of taking care of the home. At least that's what culture used to teach. But the scriptures teach that both parents are intimately involved in the training up and shepherding of their children. This isn't a pull up a seat child and listen to me teach you kind of thing when Solomon says, pay attention to the father's instruction. If you remember last week, the word instruction means this, and it's really the better translation, discipline. This isn't corrective teaching that comes from a, or this, this is a corrective teaching that comes from a desire to see godliness. It's corrective. It's not punitive. It's not punishing. It's not the kind of teaching when your child does wrong that you squash them so that you can prove to them just how wrong that they are. Discipline shepherds the heart. It corrects the heart. Its highest aim is the glory of God. It's bathed in prayer. And it requires attention and commitment. The father's discipline of a child is one of the greatest acts of love that a parent can show their child. If you're a child this morning... You might say, I disagree. (laughs) If your parents discipline you, shepherd you, correct you, thank God for them. Because they are the instruments that God is putting in your life to teach your heart the gospel of grace. And what it means to walk wisely in a fallen world. Left unchecked, left without discipline, the child does not have the guidance that they need when they are facing life and often the tragic consequences that come when you make wrong choices. Wisdom warns of danger and it delights in godliness. Solomon also says, do not forsake your mother's teaching. Do not forsake. This word forsake carries the idea to not leave the ground fallow or uncultivated. It means don't give up. The emphasis is to lean into what mom is saying. Lean in. Lean into mom's teaching. The word teaching here is the Hebrew word Torah. And it refers to that section in Scripture that teaches us the counsel of God. The focus is on direction. The aim is the godly ordering of life. Wisdom calls for the child to allow the direction given to cut into the soil of their hearts so that what is planted can grow. Listen, every parent, dad and mom, needs to have talks with their children that seize on the teachable moments of life. Every parent. 
often in the moments when life presents opportunities to ask questions. And oh, by the way, listen. I, I had a conversation with my daughter this week about something, and it was a teachable moment. And after we were finished, she said, Dad, it was nice to be able to talk to you about this. Like there was actual listening and responding and waiting and being patient. Because I, I know in my impatience sometimes as dad of the house, I want to like butt in, immediately interrupt and just say, hey, no, this is the answer. It's gospel. Move on. We actually had a conversation about it and she understood that. And she was able to take my instruction a whole lot different. This can be done in a variety of ways. Sometimes in moments of correction, when an error is observed, often in the moments of life, when life presents opportunities to ask questions and listen. You know, you're living in this fallen world, and and you know that your child is living in this fallen world, and, and it's an opportunity to sit at the table, right? So when you eat dinner five of seven days a week, at least together, what do you get to do at a table that you don't get to do many other times in the week? Actually sit down and look at each other and talk to each other. And then you can ask these questions. Hey, how was your day? Or guys, did you hear what's going on in the world? Or what's going on in school? Or hey, here's what's happening here. You talk, you listen, you share and exchange ideas. And as parents, you shepherd. And take all of those thoughts captive to the person of Jesus Christ. At the heart of instruction and teaching is being proactive, not reactive. This is where it's that never-ending, exhausting part of raising kids. It's being proactive. It's not being reactive. Because you're, as a parent, you're constantly looking on to the next hill, right? What's coming down the road? And even danger, more dangerously than being reactive... It's being passive altogether. Passivity is one of the most destructive sins in society today. Just sitting back and saying, oh well, no big deal, we'll figure it out later. Now, I wish I could say as a parent that if you commit yourself to all of the things that I'm saying right now and you put it through the machine, that all of your children will rise up and call you blessed and they will sing your praises. And they'll wake up every day and say, Dad, I am so thankful to God for you. And even more importantly, that if we do these things and our kids reach the age of 18 to 29, that they will walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. I wish I could say that there is a 100% guarantee. Some of you know what that's like. Some of you who have raised children have said, listen, we entrusted our children to the Lord and did what God would want us to do in our homes, and they still are not walking with the Lord in in an adult age. There isn't a guarantee to all this, But I'll say this, there is a higher success rate. God promises 
that his word does not return in void. When we leave the work of spiritual things up to the Holy Spirit, we just provide the platform for the Spirit to work. Our call is to trust God and obey Him in the guidance that He gives as we raise our children. What is the reward for this? What is the reward for the Father's instruction and the Mother's teaching? Verse 9 indicates what the reward is. Indeed, they are a graceful wreath to your head and ornaments about your neck. And you might be thinking, what kind of reward is that? Well, it's this. A graceful wreath and an ornament around the neck is the, the wonderful, celebratory victor's crown that God provides. The wreath would have been the wreath that was worn by someone who won something. And you might think, well, that's just a New Testament thing. No, in the Old Testament, even the Egyptian empire wore wreaths to celebrate a victory. And the adornment around the neck is kind of like the medal, like a gold medal that you would win. That wisdom, that the father's instruction and the mother's teaching become this display of God's wisdom in our lives when it is so applied. That these things are what is attractive to God even when it's not attractive to the world. Listen, the world is not interested in your success. Satan does not want you to succeed. But God does. And when you trust Him, He rewards you for it. Fathers instruct mothers teach. And then in the rest of our verses this morning, we're going to look at a test case. It's an example of what Solomon is saying here. Look at verses 10 through 19. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them alive like Sheol, even whole as those who, do not go down, or who go down into the pit. We will find all kinds of precious wealth. We will fill our houses with spoil. Throw in your lot with us. We shall all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Keep your feet from their path, for their feet run to evil, and they hasten to shed blood. Indeed, it is useless to spread the baited net in the sight of any bird, but they lie in wait for their own blood. They ambush their own lives. So are the ways of everyone who gains by violence. It takes away the life of its possessors. This is wisdom displayed. This is the wisdom and instruction from a dad to a son, the teaching of a mother to a child. What do they teach? What do they warn? What is wisdom shouting? Is that sinners will entice you into their activity, but all they promise is their own demise. Listen, sinners will entice That word entice carries with it the idea to allure or seduce. 
Satan is not ambivalent towards God's people. He attacks like a roaring lion. He wants to devour and destroy. And what does he mainly do? He doesn't come knocking on the door and say, hey, let's do this terrible thing where we destroy people, steal their wealth, and gain it for ourselves. That's what Proverbs says, right? You might think, well, that's absurd. I would never do anything like that. But what does he do? He seduces with the promise of a better life if you follow this way. What is the promise of a better life in his eyes? A bigger bank account. We're all going to get our share. And it doesn't matter how we get it. We can steamroll whoever we want. And wisdom says, do not consent. Do not willingly go along. The illustration that follows highlights the wicked activity of the sinners. It's all about bloodlust, destroying others for their own gain. Now within this picture, wisdom is warning us because we see baked into this as the example is given, the father interjects in the middle in verse 15, my son, do not walk in the way with them. Keep your feet from their path. Listen, wisdom warns us to not even walk in the same place that they're walking. I've said it before to my kids. When they say, why can't we? Why can't I? And I say, we're different. We're different than the world. Because of Jesus Christ, we're in a whole different plane of living And we warn them and caution them that even to walk closely by, to observe, is to kind of open the door and say, okay, maybe it's not a huge deal. We warn them to not even walk in the same place that they're walking. Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians 15.33, do not be deceived, bad company corrupts good morals. That's the New Testament. That's not just the Old Testament proverb. That's Paul saying, listen, who you hang out with drags you down. Bad company corrupts good morals. Wisdom shows that sinners who seek to destroy others for their gain only ambush their own lives. They set a trap for their own lives. Those who gain by violence have their lives taken away. Verse 19, so are the ways of everyone who gains by violence. It takes away the life of its possessors. The promise is short-lived. The unrighteous will not succeed. Listen, we could leave here and think, okay, we've been warned. You told me not to walk in the path of sinners. Don't let them entice you. Okay, we've been warned. But the success of leading our children in the path of wisdom is what we say and do between Sundays. It's not just accomplished right now. Oh, I wish I had the ability. But it's beyond what happens Sunday morning. It's the conversations, it's the consistency. It's the example of needy parents living dependently on the grace of God. And you know what that means? As a parent, you might say, I'm not qualified. I'm just a sinner like everyone else. But you know Jesus. And let your children see 
the grace of God in your life. Let them see when you're not perfect. Acknowledge as a parent when you mess up. Ask for your child's forgiveness when necessary. Don't get in the way of allowing grace to be modeled in your life. Because if you get in the way of that, what your children are seeing is, I have to be perfect to please God. And we're not perfect. But God invites us and calls us to follow Him and to trust Him and to be reliant upon the grace that we need. And it's in these moments that we see faith grow. And so parents don't lose heart. It may seem we're losing the cultural battles all around us, but God will not abandon us. And He will always give us the grace that is needed. Fight hard for the hearts of your children. Be faithful and consistent. And when you're not, admit it. Acknowledge your need for the grace of God. And let's not be committed to lose the 75% of our church or our children that are walking out of our churches when they reach adulthood. Children, God is not against you when you are being instructed and taught. And your parents are not against you when they discipline you and correct you. Even when it seems like everyone else is having fun and enjoying life and you have been instructed through discipline and taught the word of God, the ways of wisdom, to not pursue the path of the sinners, that God's highest aim for your life is for his glory and your ultimate good. And for the church, maybe you already raised some kids, or maybe you don't have any children of your own. We still need you. We desperately need you to pray for our families, to pray for each other, and to give spiritual wisdom. Don't be afraid to lovingly speak into our lives. And as we trust God in this way, my prayer is we see a generation rising up that will not walk in the paths of sinners, but will adorn the graceful wreath of God's wisdom. Let's pray.